Doing okay this morning? Man, you got a chair, so you're the lucky one. Um, John Calvin writes, and I quote, true knowledge of God is born out of obedience. True knowledge of God is born out of obedience. How many of you in here know this, that as a believer, obedience is to mark our walk? As a believer, and not just a believer, but as a confessor in Jesus Christ as Lord, we are with that confession saying we are to be obedient. To confess him as Lord means what? Well, by definition of Lord, he is bigger, he is better, he knows all, he was before all, he holds all together. And if you are confessing that he is Lord, then you are also confessing that you are not and so obedience grows out of a true knowledge of God is what Calvin says. And I believe today that all of us would love, love, especially if we confess Jesus. We would love to walk, walk out a life that looked obedient to the Father. And today as we navigate the Psalms of Ascents, we are brought to Psalm 132 just as short as Psalm 131 was. This one is just as long. It's our longest song of the Psalms that we are going to get today. So if you want to go ahead and turn to Psalm 132, and I mentioned obedience this morning because this is the genre that this Psalm is going in this morning. We've seen a lot through the Psalms of Ascents. We've seen a lot as Hebrew Israelites would journey towards Jerusalem, would ascend to the holy city at least three times a year for certain festivals and occasions, and how that as they would journey, they would sing of these songs that we are navigating together. And we've seen songs of joy. We've seen songs of sadness and lament. We've seen songs of instruction. And today we are hit with a song of obedience as it retells the obedience of a man named David. And so all of us today, as we enter into Psalm 132, I believe would like to say, Lord, flex my obedience muscle a little bit more. And Karl Barth writes this, each act of obedience by a Christian is a modest proof, unequivocal for all its imperfections of the reality in which he attests. That even today, if you were saying, I, am not, I have not been obedient this week. If there's anything that marks my Christian walk, it may be disobedience. I love what Bart says there, that even the smallest step of obedience is flexing that muscle that you actually believe what you say you believe. And so today, we are not here to guilt you into thinking that you are just strictly disobedient and God's done working. No, in fact, today, we would like to encourage you that you are disobedient. There is someone who is obedient, and because he was obedient, you can now walk out, even in small little steps of obedience, what the Father is orchestrating in your life. And so as we open the Bible now and read of our ancient history, let us all find its relevance in our lives as we come back under the rule of God, saying, Lord, you are God. And I pray you find me obedient. So with that, Psalm 132, it'll be on the screen as well. Follow along with me, just the first five verses here, and then we'll continue to break down the rest of it. Verse one says, Lord, remember David. And so David is not writing, but someone is writing about David and all the hardships he endured. How he swore an oath to the Lord, making a vow to the mighty one of Jacob. I will not enter my house or get into my bed I will not allow my eyes to sleep 
or my eyelids to slumber until I find a place for the Lord, a dwelling for the mighty one of Jacob. Now, what's going on here? Because as I said, this is not written by David, but about him. And in verse 1, we are met with what? Remember. It's a petition to the Lord to remember David. And remember what about David? Remember David's endurance and the oath that he made to the Lord. Now, this in Psalm 132, this oath of David, where it says, I will not enter my bed or go into my house. I won't take a nap. I won't eat until yada, yada, yada. This is found nowhere else in the Old Testament. And so this must have been a story that was passed down. And so while we don't have this inscription, we don't have David recounting this and say, first or second Samuel that we could go back to, we do know what they are talking about and what the events are happening here. In verse 5, David says what as he makes this oath? I will find a dwelling place for the Lord. What is he alluding to? Well, if we were to go all the way back to the days of Moses and the Exodus, specifically in Exodus 25, there is a command from God in Exodus 25 that his people would construct a dwelling for him. And that as they do so, he would be in the midst. God would be in the midst of the people. And what this is known to us today is the Ark of the Covenant. In Exodus 25, the people were instructed to create this, the Ark of the Covenant. The book of Exodus is a book of God's presence, and it recounts God saving his people from the Egyptians, being with them as a pillar of fire by day, and, or a pillar of fire by night, and a cloud by day. He led them, and then he called them to obedience in constructing this. One step of obedience was to construct this permanent residence for the Lord in their midst. And within the, the, the Exodus account, we see many instructions on how to make it. Like God didn't just say, well, just, you know, find you a good old shoebox and throw it together. There was a lot that had to go into it. There was different dimensions. There was different animal hair. There was different gems. There was different ways to carry it. In fact, you see these long poles. There was an instruction that anytime you were carrying this, you carry it by the poles. And maybe you remember um, the story in the Old Testament of David moving the Ark of the Covenant, and he moves it on what? An ox cart. And then who reaches out to stable it? Uzzah. Remember poor Uzzah? What happened to him? He gone. The Lord struck him. And it was like, David was like, what is happening here? The Lord had specific instructions on how to move this, how to build this, where it was to reside, the occupancy of it. And in that moment, instead of carrying it by poles, David had it on an ox cart. And it wasn't that sturdy. And so poor Uzzah's like, here, let me help you out. Touches the ark to stabilizes it, and God strikes him. Now, it's for another sermon, but I think it's just good to know that no one stabilizes God. No one stabilizes God. He does not need your protection. But as they were instructed to create this, God promised, I will be in the midst of you. You will be my people, and I will be your God. An elephant in the room, you could be looking at this, especially if you're new to this whole faith thing, and be like, wow, God is pretty petty. He's pretty needy. Like, why does he need this gem or that gem? I love what one scholar says about this. It was not that God required a building. He didn't require a building with a courtyard in order to dwell somewhere. It was that he desired that the people make a home for him. 
and then locate their houses and their tents around his house and his tent and join him regularly at his courtyard for covenant meals, confirming their ongoing relationship and receiving the blessings inherent therein. This is incredible. Church, do you recognize today that the God who is not bound by time, not bound by space, not bound by anything, confines his presence to a singular place in the midst of his people? The God who owes us nothing speaks to his people and says, make me a dwelling place and I will inhabit it. And so before we think, man, God, why, like, you're kind of needy. Why do you need that? Like God's not in a box. No, he's not. But God knows something that we often forget. Write it down if you're taking notes this morning, that if we have any chance of obedience, the Lord must be in the center of our lives. If you and I have any chance at obedience, your life must come under the authority of God Almighty. Now, the New Testament tells us that all good things come down from the Father of lights who delights in giving them. That if any good thing happens in our life, it is from the Father above that gives it. And in this context of Exodus 25, where he says, make me a dwelling, it's not that God needed them. It was that they needed him. This morning, how many of you know that you were in desperate need of the Lord to be in the midst of your life? That this was not a, I need you, Israel. I need you. Build me a home. This was Israel. You need me. Construct me a residence and I will be there. If we have any chance at this life, if we have any chance at enduring 2023, God must be at the center. He must reside in the center of all our relationships, each occupation, in our households, in our churches, in our hobbies, in all that we are and all that we hope to be. And as I alluded to, he is not a genie in this box that they would rub when they needed his help. He was the almighty God who dwelled in their midst and called them to obey him all their days. And this is what they did. They constructed this ark. And God dwelled among them. And then they lost it. You're like, wait, what? Like, not like you lose your keys. Okay, a few months ago, uh, my wife Emily, like, she wears her Apple Watch every single day to work. She's a nurse. And it was like, one day we just couldn't find it. And we're like, you pick it up every single day. Where She lost it for months. And then she found it. I don't, know where, I don't even know where she found it, but one day she was like, I found my Apple Watch. And it was like, perfect. Glory, glory, hallelujah. We didn't have to buy another one. And so it's not like this, okay? It's not like losing your keys. In 1 Samuel 4, the Israelites go to battle against the Philistines and they lose. And the Philistines plunder everything and they take the ark as a trophy. And we don't have time for it, so we're not going to study the context. But just know that it did not go well for them. Everywhere the Philistines went with the ark, uh, trouble found them. Until one day they were like, let's return it. And then during this period that they did not have the ark, this guy named Saul was king of the Israelites. And I don't know if you know this, but things didn't go too well for Saul at the end of his life. Saul, a man that was after God, was building the Lord's kingdom. Slowly but surely over time started building his own. And so all of this is happening in the context of the Old Testament. And this is what David means when he says in verse 5, I won't sleep until I find a permanent 
dwelling place for the Lord. Perhaps he realized and remembered poor Uzzah when it was like, this wasn't a permanent dwelling. He's just stuck his arm out to steady it, and he died. And he's like, okay, we need a better, we, we need a better system than this. And so now David is king, and in these verses are his solemn swearing unto the Lord that he will find a permanent dwelling place for the Lord. And what David wanted was to create a more permanent place, and we would call this the temple. David made it about his business to go and build a temple, and that he did. This oath that he made to God that I will not slumber, I will not rest, I will not do anything until we do this, he actually lived this out. Don't turn there, just listen to this. We actually have this in First Chronicles 29, and it says this, Then King David said to his assembly, My son Solomon, God has chosen him alone, is young and inexperienced. The task is great, because the building will not be built for a human, but for the Lord God. So to the best of my ability, David says, I've made provision for the house of my God. Gold for the gold articles, silver for the silver, bronze for the bronze, iron for the iron, and wood for the wood, as well as onyx, stones for mounting, anemone stones of various colors, all kinds of precious stones, and a great quantity of marble. Moreover, because of my delight in the house of my God, I will now give my personal treasures of gold and silver for the house of my God over. And above all that I've provided for his holy house, 100 tons of gold, 250 tons of refined silver for the overlaying the walls and the buildings, the gold for the, wa- the gold wall work, and the silver for the silver, for all the work is to be done by a craftsman. Now, who will volunteer to consecrate himself for the Lord today? In obedience to the Lord, David continually set aside his own comforts so that the resources of his life would be stewarded towards the presence of God and what was best for the people. What was best for the people of God? A temple. A place where they could come and worship their creator. And David set aside his personal treasures to see that this would happen. And it just begs and leads to the question, what will you do? You see, a great litmus test for obedience is how you spend your resources. Now, of course, the easy one is money. And I love what Joby Martin, who's a pastor down in Florida, says about money. And there's really three relationships that you can have with money. Number one is you can have the the selfish view. And you say, what's mine is mine. That's selfish. You also can have the stealing view. What's yours is mine. Or as he says, when the government does it, socialism. Or you can have the stewardship, whereas what mine is God's. You can be selfish, what's mine is mine. You can be stealing, what's yours is mine. Or you can be a steward that says, what is mine is God's. A litmus test for your obedience is how you spend your money, how you save your money. Is your money yours? Or is your money simply a tool to leverage God's kingdom and to build up his purposes? But forget your money. It's not about money today. What about your time? Time is a resource. What do you do with it? What do you do with it? Man, what a blessing it was that so many folks showed up early this morning. Like, man, I, like, I, was, I don't know how to make pancakes. Thank the Lord other folks showed up and did it. Like, what do you do with your time? What about your home and your dinner table? 
Do you ever invite your neighbors over? I'm really bad at this. I was thinking actually in my notes, like, man, it's really great that my dinner table is normally surrounded by friends, but does it have room for neighbors? I'm really bad at that. What about you? Will you invite your neighbors over? Give them a meal, give them the time of day, and just say, God, I want a stewardship model when it comes to the things that I have, whether it's in my bank account, whether it's in my driveway, it's in my home, it's in my soul. Lord, everything that I have is yours. It's not mine. It's not mine. It's yours. Because here's what we know. Obedience leads to stewarding everything that we have for the glory of God and the good of others. Obedience leads us to this. The more obedient we become to our Father who is in heaven, the more we begin to just pour out our things. This isn't the only marker, but I really think it's a good one. Because this is what David did. He said, I vowed to the Lord that I won't sleep until I make and establish a permanent dwelling place for my Lord. And he did that. He did that. Obedience leads us to stewarding everything that you and I have for the glory of God and the good of others. And that's your money, that's your time, that's your possessions. Where do you find yourself today? Where do I find myself today? And this is what David did. And then we kind of hit verse 6 in Psalm 132. Look back down at it. And this is going to jump a little bit. This is a little different. This is going back. In verse 6, he says, we heard of the ark, and we found it in the fields of Jar. So the ark was at one time lost. And in verse 6, he says, we found it in the fields of Jar. Let us go to his dwelling place. Let us worship at his footstool. Rise up, Lord. Come to your resting place, that you and your powerful ark, may your priests be clothed with righteousness, and may your faithful people shout for joy. For the sake of your servant David, do not reject your anointed one. They have found the ark, and the people are remembering. Remember the shouts of joy when we found it. And I love how it says they found it in the fields of Jar, which is translated the fields of thicket. So they found it in like the brush. And word gets back to David, and David says, go get it. And they celebrate. They celebrate as they call out to the Lord, Lord, we commit back to you and consecrate a place for you. May you bless our efforts. And then verse 11 and 12, we see the Lord's response to David. The Lord swore an oath to David, a promise he will not abandon. I will set your offspring on your throne. If your sons keep my covenant and my decrees, that I will teach them, their sons will also sit on your throne forever. Then the Lord swore to David. How many of you know that when God makes a promise, he keeps it? That God is the one who was remarking back to David with an oath of his own. Because here's the thing about David. David wasn't perfect. Yes, in this moment, David stewarded his resources and when the ark was lost, they're like, we got to find a permanent dwelling for this mug. And they found it. They built it. It's called the temple. But David, throughout his life, would make other oaths to the Lord that he would utterly break. 
that he would fall in disgust, that he would be in places where he didn't even want to live anymore because of the decisions that he had made. Yet the Lord makes this faithful promise to him. And when the Lord makes his promises, he keeps them. Because the psalmist ends with this declaration in verse 13 and following. Let's read it together. This is the Lord's promise. For the Lord has chosen Zion. He has desired it for his home. This is my resting place forever. I will make my home here because I have desired it. I will abundantly bless its food. I will satisfy its needy with bread. I will clothe its priests with salvation, and its faithful people will shout for joy. There I will make a horn grow for David. I have prepared a lamp for my anointed one. I will clothe his enemies with shame, but the crown he wears will be glorious. This is the promise of the Lord back to David. And our sermon in a sentence today as we dive into some application pieces is simply this, that the gospel is a blessing for the disobedient, the disenfranchised, and the disregarded. The gospel is blessing for the disobedient, the disenfranchised, and the disregarded. Church, where do you find yourself today? Well, let's just, number one, we find ourselves in disobedience. You're like, what do you mean? I had a really good Sunday morning. We had pancakes. We had, like, what are you talking about? I was here. I said I'd be here. I was here. It's like, yeah, I get it. But man, you and I live with these fickle hearts that are prone to wander. Lord, we feel it, right? Prone to leave the God we love, as the song says. You and I are the disobedient. We just are. And maybe today you know that. You're like, yeah, I get that. But maybe today you feel like the disenfranchised. You're forgotten. You're just out there somewhere. There's no blessing for you. Maybe you feel like you are stuck in the fields of jar, the field of thicket and brush. Or maybe you're the disregarded this morning. Someone has counted you out. You feel like everyone has forgotten about you. The gospel is blessing for the disobedient, the disenfranchised, and the disregarded. And at this point, I hope the gospel lights on your dashboard are lighting up. Because this entire psalm is in remembrance of David vowing to the Lord that he will find a place for him to dwell and ending with the Lord's declaration towards his people. But this is where gospel lights start flashing if you are a follower of Jesus. And I'm going to invite the ladies to come back up as we close. But let us draw our attention to John 1. This is what John 1 says. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. We observed his glory, the glory as the one and only son from the father, full of grace and full of truth. This word dwelt is the word tabernacle. That just as there was the mercy seat on the Ark of the Covenant where the Lord's spirit would tabernacle with his people. John tells us in John 1 that actually the word has now become flesh. And Jesus Christ has tabernacled with his people. I love the message version where it says he's basically set up shop with us. That he has come, the glory as the one and only son from the father, full of grace and full of truth. And John is pushing us to this truth in his first chapter that we no longer need a man-made place for the Lord to dwell. The temple was great for a period. And then the temple fell. 
And what you and I know today, or at least I hope you know here in 2023, is that there's nothing radiant or glorious about this space right here. That you don't need this building to carry the Lord's spirit. Is the Lord's spirit here? Absolutely. But not because of the building, because you were here. The Lord's presence in John 1 came in flesh and dwelt among us. To dwell among us means to indwell with us. The spirit is not out there. The spirit is in here now. And guess what? That spirit that is now tabernacled with us in Christ Jesus will never be lost, will never be conquered. I just wrote some things in my notes. The point of today, you see, the good news of the gospel is not that God is lost and you must find him. The good news of the gospel is that you are lost and God has found you. You know what's worse than being lost? Being lost and no one's looking for you. You see, within this story, they lost the ark because they were conquered. And for decades, they didn't have it. So many of us treat religion like this. We think if they have anything to do with God, then it is all up to me and the work that I can provide. And God is out there, and you just gotta do the right stuff, read the right book, send the right vibes, and you will one day find him. Hopefully, right? That sounds really good until we actually realize what that is, and that's not good news. It's not good news that God is lost and you must go find him. What's good news is that you are lost, someone is looking for you, and God has come to find you. The good news of the gospel is that we do not rely on our obedience to come into right standing with God. The good news of the gospel is that Jesus' perfect obedience has made it possible for us to have a right standing with God. It's not good news if it's up to your obedience, because guess what? You ain't obedient, and neither am I. If it was up to your obedience, we are wasting our time this morning. Pancakes were good. I'm glad that the room is full, but we're wasting our time. But if our right standing before the Father depends on Jesus' obedience, then you and I have a chance.